You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena, the parochial vicar of St. Anne's Parish in Butte, Montana, and chaplain of Butte Central Catholic Schools. Enjoy. This homily is a little different than most that I've given in you know, my two plus years as a priest, because it's sort of it's sort of eminently practical. I've refrained from giving very many practical homilies. Because I sort of I see, I see the need in the church as more of a refocusing of ourselves upon Jesus Christ Himself and His person and who He is. Uh, but I still see that. But I, our first reading from Ecclesiastes as well as the Gospel, sort of point us to this one very practical struggle that I think most of us as human beings have, and, and especially as Christians, something that we grapple with and struggle with, and that's sort of the the idea of the fortunes of the world. And by fortune, I don't mean a person's net worth or even money or wealth, but rather the seemingly random and often sudden turnabouts in life that we're presented with. Sometimes a fortune can be a, a sudden windfall, a good thing that comes out of nowhere that's unexpected, but I'd say more often, at least it seems more often, it's a tragedy, and sometimes a horrific tragedy. But it's something we think we could not have prepared for, that seems like it came from nowhere. There's a crafty Renaissance writer, sort of political philosopher named Niccolo Machiavelli, and he he wrote a very controversial book at the time called The Prince. It's still controversial today. And it gives a sort of guide to young, ambitious rulers on how to navigate the fortunes of the world. So his whole goal in the book is to say, life is full of unexpected things, but it's possible to navigate those things, and here's a sort of guide to that. So here's a way to sort of rule securely in any circumstance. Uh, and and the book is very blunt and in many ways, and that's why it's so controversial. But he points out at the beginning, sort of looking at everything, he says, It's not unknown to me that many have held and hold the opinion that worldly things are so governed by fortune and by God, and that men cannot correct them by their own prudence. Indeed, they have no remedy at all. And so he started presenting this worldview of the time that I think many of us still sort of fall into from time, especially in times of struggle. We think that this world is sort of partly random and impossible to control, and then the other part is just God doing things, and we can't control those things either. So, so what do we do in that case? Uh, Machiavelli feels the need to sort of combat that naive opinion and, and we, we can either do that or we can just sort of go the way of, of many religions and just saying that everything that happens is God's will. But then that's problematic as well. You know, I, one of my friends once who was, who was diagnosed with cancer and he came up and said, you know, I don't know why God wanted this to happen or God made this happen, but he must have a plan. Is that really, you know, what's going on there when, you, when we say something like that? 
So yeah, Machiavelli was not satisfied with this because he thought that it took away to a certain extent our free will. So he concludes after looking around at the world, he says this, that our free will not be eliminated. I judge that it might be true that fortune is the arbiter of half of our actions, but also that she leaves the other half or close to it for us to govern. So he's saying kind of the world is half unpredictable, but then the other half, you can sort of, you're free to prepare for the craziness of the unpredictability. So there's something to that. You know, he could have pointed to, in the U.S., one example would be like Hurricane Katrina, which was an absolutely devastating tragedy and, and in some ways unexpected. But the reason it was a devastating tragedy is because our levees were 17 feet tall instead of 30 to 50 feet tall, which they were supposed to be according to the studies that had been done. So it's a tragedy, but it's a tragedy because we didn't want to spend the money to prepare well, and we sort of just did bad research as to what we needed. So we were surprised by a horrible thing because we weren't prepared for that horrible thing. So now, is, is what Machiavelli is saying there sort of similar to what the scriptures are saying today? Uh, I'd say yes and no. Because Ecclesiastes does sort of point to, the whole book is sort of pointing to the unpredictability and the volatility of life. But it takes things much deeper than the prince does. You know, Coeleth, the writer of, of Ecclesiastes, who's most likely King Solomon, takes into account the possibility that someone could live this life that, that, that Machiavelli talks about. You know, someone, he, he mentions someone who labors with wisdom and knowledge and skill, someone who knows how to navigate the fortunes of this life, who in some ways avoids the great tragedies that many of us aren't able to avoid, or partly gets lucky and then avoids the rest. It's possible for someone to do that, but he points out that even that person is going to die. And then what happens to them? You know, what happens to everything that they've accumulated over that time? They leave it to someone who didn't work for it, who most likely will take it for granted and uh, either waste it or even if they don't, you know, didn't enjoy the fruit of their labor. Uh, so you know, it's the story of so many family businesses. In the gospel, Jesus kind of illustrates exactly that same thing. You know, the story of a man who is suddenly excited about the abundance of his things and he's He's, and their potential of this great harvest to give him rest and security for years to come. And so he goes out to build his larger barns, and not knowing that his life will be taken from him that very night. You know, we can't avoid death. And it's that fact that sort of keeps us from really enjoying and having peace in the things of this world. You know, it's just hard to enjoy the things of this world in themselves because we know they're fleeting on a very fundamental level. So where do we go with all this? You know, all the scriptures today do is point out the problem. They don't really give us the solution. So we've got two questions we're sort of grappling with here. The first is, what's the relationship between the evil that happens in this world and God's will? You know, how, can we, how do we reconcile that? How, is God willing the evil that's happening in this world. And then the second question would be, 
Why is it that no matter how we navigate the fortunes of this world, the, the seemingly random things that happen, no matter how well and prudently we navigate that, we never seem to win that battle. And why is that? Um, even, with, even if we win it during this life, we still die. So to the first question, we, I think we always need to distinguish between God's active will and the things that he allows to happen. There's a difference there, and it's an important difference for our faith. The evil we see around us isn't God's idea of a good time. It's not things that he does actively in that sense. But he passively permits them. And that's a really interesting thing. It's got questions in itself. But the book of Wisdom says this. God does not, did not make death, nor does he enjoy the destruction of the living. God doesn't want us to die. But he does allow evil. And why? Because it's a necessary part of our freedom. If we're going to be free as people, there has to be the, the possibility of evil. We have to be free to turn away from God, which is sin. Turning away from God is sin. But despite that, that doesn't mean that everything in the world is random. And it doesn't mean that things are outside of God's control. Because his providence, his providential care, extends even to all the possible evil. So even all of that is within his plan. And he will bring about his will regardless. So that means that every possible misfortune, all the disasters of the world, are in a sense, a source of God's grace. Even in evil, God can bring greater good. And he does. Not only can he, but he does. Every evil is an opportunity for grace, if we accept it. I think there's only one real example that's necessary here, because all the other examples sort of fall short. Because the greatest question here is the question of death, because that's the greatest evil is death. So, what's God's answer to that? So, in this great mystery, Jesus takes death, which is the greatest question of humanity, and he makes that the source of eternal life by dying on the cross. The the greatest evil becomes, in a sense, the greatest good that's ever happened. When Christ dies on the cross, he frees us from our sins and then raises us up to eternal life. So he takes the great evil and makes a greater good out of it uh, as a sort of exemplar of what he does with everything else in our lives. And if we see everything in the light of the resurrection, then all of our joys here on earth and all of our sufferings take on new light. So the joys of this world, which we know when we look at them, are imperfect and they're fleeting, but they can also be a sort of foretaste of heaven, a a sign to us that God loves us. You know, when we have the joys in this world, yes, they're they're not what gives our heart peace, but they are a sure sign of God's love for us and what he's got prepared for us in heaven, which is infinite goodness. And also, although the misfortunes of this world can at times be overwhelming, we know that God's providence is greater than them. And so we can trust, even in the midst of those sufferings, 
that God is going to work some greater good out of them. Not that he wills the evil, but that he's going to take the evil and bring good out of it. You know, I, don't know if, I don't know if you've ever been around your loved ones kind of at the end of their life and ask them, like, looking back, would you have changed anything? You know, I've talked to people who are World War II vets who spent time in Japanese prison camps and it's a horrendous things. But you'd say something like, well, despite everything that happened, I wouldn't have changed a thing. And if someone can say that about horrible tragedies in their life, then that's just a sure sign that God takes even those things that, we, that, that cause so much great of suffering and we see the good that he brings out of them if our hearts are open to it. So what a fortune then. I think Machiavelli's right about one thing and that's that we ought not to just sort of ride the wave of the world and let, our, let misfortune sort of overwhelm us and, and suck hope out of our life. We can't live like that. We need to sort of live without wisdom and skill that Koaleth talks about. But, even, but to know that even if we sort of navigate it well, if we're successful in everything, that's not, that's not the source of our happiness. We work, but we work for the Lord. Uh, we don't work for worldly goods. And we, and we work with the strength of the Lord. Because that's the only strength that can endure the great suffering that this world presents. And if, and if we trust him, then he will give us the grace to live with that sort of wisdom that we're called to live with. Even amidst the sort of unpredictability of life. And to walk as the saints walked. Uh, the saints walked with that same wisdom. Always working for that heavenly treasure, not the treasure here on earth.